We'll have two Bible readings today. The Old Testament reading is taken from Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. And this can be found on page 617 in the Bibles in the chairs. Page 617, Psalm 119, beginning at verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that have come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches and meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. The New Testament reading is taken from 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, and this can be found on page 1200. And 25. Page 1225. 1 John, chapter 2, beginning of verse 12. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Thanks, Dan, for reading that for us. Please do keep that open. Um, If you've been coming along on Sunday mornings, you know we're going through this letter uh, written by John. Um, At the beginning of the letter, he says says something like this. We we write this to make our joy complete. Uh, And then towards the end of the letter, he's, he's going to also add this in. He'll say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know uh, that you have eternal life. There's, there's a sense, and that's why we've given um, this series, this title, Confident Joy. John's, John's writing, uh, John's writing to a Christian community and wanting them to know that there is a way through Jesus to have a, a confident joy 
uh, in the way you live life, uh, knowing him. Uh, that's, that's part of at least where this letter is going. Now, as we come into the passage we're, we're looking at today, I don't know if you like being described as mature. Someone says to you, oh, you're very mature. Is that a good thing? Um, if you're a woman, if somebody says, oh, you're quite mature now, does that feel positive? Or, or even as a man, if someone says, oh, you're, I, I, was, I was on the, the walk yesterday, well, at least part of it, I was on the walk, I didn't quite make it to the end. I certainly felt like one of the more mature people on the walk as, as others were going off into the distance. It, it's one of those terms that can, if somebody says that about you, it feels like, they, like you're past it, that's what they're saying. Um, back in 2011, Vinod Kozla, uh, who's a venture capitalist apparently, uh, he said this in an interview, people who are over 45 basically die in terms of new ideas. I'm 49, so I've not had a, not had a new idea for four years. Actually, I think it's much longer than that. Um, and then I thought, well, he's 64, what does he know anyway? Um, but we live in a society, don't we? We live in a society where many people don't want to grow up. Um, everything's geared towards staying young. Those of you who are sort of sub-25 are feeling very pleased uh, at the moment. But we live in a society where people don't want to grow up. Yet despite the chat about being 18 until I die, certain traits, you know this, certain traits, while adorable in... Ch- I mean, children get away with all sorts, don't they? They can make all sorts of noises that are uh, viewed as adorable. If I were to make them in polite company, it'd be very troubling. Um, But there's certain things, isn't there? Certain traits, adorable in children, deeply troubling in adults. When it comes to self-control, children act on impulse. Adults, uh, well, we know we shouldn't be slaves to emotions. We're emotional, but we're, we're not just to be slaves to emotions. And then there's the ability to delay gratification. Children live in the present, I mean, who cares about a huge pudding later when there is one sweet on the table now that I can have? You know, as we mature, we learn to sacrifice something smaller now in order to gain something else later. And maturity is a, is a good thing. We should want to grow into mature adults. And you read through the Bible and discover God wants that for, uh, for people as well. There is always meant to be a kind of I think, a a childlike fascination with the world. We're meant to enjoy it in all sorts of wonderful ways, not to become cynical, but we're meant to mature, and I think you get a hint of it even here in these words. Verse 17, if you've you've got this passage in 1 John open in front of you, chapter 2, verse 17, where John writes, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And you, you see what he's saying. There's life choices to make now that lead to future benefits. And John's writing to Christians. They've begun to follow Jesus. They, they're trusting uh, that he's come to rescue and remake people. Now, the way the good news message they've heard explains and to grow them to mature right living with God. And two things in this part of the letter we'll we'll see this morning. Look, what shapes genuine maturity as as the Bible understands it? And where mature living takes you. The the first of those, in verses 12 to 14, what shapes maturity? Verse 12, John says, I'm writing to you. And then he he lists lists various groups, doesn't he? Uh, Children, fathers, young men. Verse 12, he He says to the children, your sins have been forgiven. 
in verse 13 to the fathers, you, you've, you know him who's from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus there. Verse 13 again to, um, uh, to the young men, he says, uh, you've overcome the evil one. Why is he saying that? I mean, context is everything. You know how it works. Somebody says, I'm finished with Cambridge. And you think, that's crazy talk. Finished with Cambridge. I mean, everyone wants to try and get a house in Cambridge. It's the place to be. I mean, this is the center of the universe, isn't it? It's not like that town Matt Moore is going to. You, you want to stay in Cambridge. But if they're standing in the Abbey Stadium watching Cambridge United, when they say it was perfectly understandable, isn't it? I'm finished with Cambridge. Um, context is everything. So, so remember this context for the letter we've got in front of us. John's writing to people who are, well, the danger is they're losing confidence. Are we proper Christians? Uh, have, we, have we got it right? Because little groups have, have come out from the church and they're claiming all sorts of things for themselves. They're claiming they've got they've got something extra. They've got real spiritual depth. They've got real spiritual maturity. And you, as you look at them, you think, gosh, the way they stand over other people, quick with their comments and opinions. And sin hardly seems to, to trouble them at all. And, and John's readers are listening and wondering, look, maybe we need what they've got. And then John says, in effect, in this letter, look, they're all talk and no substance. And the reason they're not troubled by sin is not because they're super spiritual, it's because they've stopped listening to God's word. They've stopped caring and they just excuse themselves. And people who excuse their own sin, they don't have time for the, they don't have time for the kind of Jesus that the Bible will talk about. And that's why John, as he goes through this letter, will keep reminding them and us of what Jesus came to do. In a few weeks, we'll come to these words, chapter four, verse 10, where he writes, this is love. Imagine him writing this to these people he cares deeply about. And he says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. The Christian message, John says, it's not about how, it's not about how to be super spiritual and super powerful. It's about how Jesus came to rescue the super sinful that's what it's about. That's the way it goes. And John says, so understand real maturity, if you want to know about it, will always flow. It'll always flow from a, from a grown-up understanding of how that truth shapes, shapes the way I think about myself. It shapes the way I think about those around me. It shapes the way I think about God himself. How could I be bigging myself up? How could I ever be standing and looking down on other people? Because I'm one of the rescued super sinful. And it's the reason he writes what he does here in verses 12 to 14. Come back and look at them with me. And look, as you, as you come to these words, don't, don't think it's gender bias as he writes children, fathers, and young men. John, John's writing in a different time to us when his words would have been, I think, safely understood as one succinct way to talk about everyone. That's what he's getting at here. Children, that's his catch-all term for all Christians in this letter. He uses it loads of times throughout this letter. When you hear children, he's talking about Christians. As he speaks about fathers, it's those who are older. You know, kind of as I look around, me, Leon, people like that, those of us who are older. 
young men, it's obviously those who are younger. See, Benty and JP over there who are new to our church family, they're younger. Ed and Clem, they're younger. They're the, the kind of people he's, he's talking about. Louise Bamber, she's younger. She fits into that as well. And uh, it says, Scott might do as well. He's, he's probably much older. She was a child bride. I'm going to stop now. This isn't scripted. It's got dangerous. But he says, it's like a poetic way of saying, look, this is for you. This is for you. Whatever, whatever age you're at, children, verses 12 and 14, everyone, your sins have been forgiven on account of Jesus' name. And you know God the Father. That's what he's saying. If you're a Christian... If Jesus rescues rule for you, you've been forgiven and you're in God's family now. That's what you need to know. Fathers, those who are, who are older, you begin to think as the years go on, is there something more that we need as we get older? Is the stuff I heard at the beginning of my Christian life, is it enough really to keep me through to the end? And John says, look, remember, you know him who's from the beginning. The eternal life, he's talking about Jesus. That great line I've been thinking about quite a bit these past few weeks in the Narnia book, Prince Caspian. Lucy meets Aslan, who's like Jesus in the stories. And after an initial greeting, she says, Aslan, you've grown. And he says, I'm neither bigger nor older, but every year you grow, I'll seem bigger to you. And Lucy's wonderful insight that you can't get so old, you need something more than Jesus. You can't outgrow him. You can only ever grow into him, discover more, because he's boundless. The idea sometimes that we have that won't heaven get boring someday if it goes on for eternity? No, because God is boundless. He's infinite. Even in eternity, you can't ever grow out of him. You can only grow into him. There will always be more and more wonderful things. Are you finding that with Jesus? Does he seem bigger this year than last year? Maybe you're at the beginning of your Christian journey and it does feel like, oh gosh, I've just found out something else about him. And that should be carrying on for us. And then those who are younger, verses 13 and 14, John's kind of saying, look, as you head out in life, all sorts of things before you. You started jobs, careers, maybe those who are, who are in your teens and you're thinking about school and exam choices. As you, as you head out into life, how are you going to live in this world? What power might you need as a Christian? Is there an extra spiritual thing that some people are claiming? Is it enough? Is it really enough just to get to know Jesus week in, week out as you, as you gather with a church family and hear about him from the Bible? And John says, don't you know what you've got? Don't you know, when you came to know Jesus, you overcame the most powerful anti-God spiritual force in the whole universe, the evil one, the devil. He's the one who wants to keep you down, keep you from God, but through Jesus, you overcame that. And if you've done that, if he's given you the power to do that, what more could you need? What could be more powerful that you need to get hold of? So, like teenage Christian, if you want to get stronger, verse 14, see what he says? I write to you, young men, those of you who are younger, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you. He's saying, look, whatever you do in life, 
Uh, Whatever you're heading towards, ambitious as an academic, motivated in the media, dedicated as a doctor, paying your bills through an honorable job in a supermarket, looking after children with additional needs, or or looking after an aging parent or or an aging uh, spouse, here's here's what shapes maturity. Here's what will help you grow, knowing through Jesus you're a sinner who's been forgiven and you've been brought now into God's family. And that everything you need to grow and mature is found in knowing Jesus better. Following him as you obey his word, the good things he will say to you. So the Christian life is it's rarely about the large, grand gesture, doing something so amazing and stunning, one big thing like that. It's, it's much more about the weekly commitment to, to the church family. It's regular service to others. It's the consistent reading of God's word. Take God's word deep into your life. Let it shape how you live and think. And John's saying, it will produce in you a confident joy that matures all the way to your later years. That's true, isn't it, Derek? Confident joy in the Savior. Now, if that's what shapes maturity, look, Here's where mature living takes you, verses 15 to 17. Look look at verse 15. Here's what John writes. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. All sorts in there. You think, what's he, what's he banging on about in there? Well, it's kind of this. Look, if you... If you know God's forgiven and adopted you through Jesus, not because you've earned it, just because of his goodness and grace towards you, if you know he's done that for you, and you know now life can be lived, look, not earning things from God, that's not what it's about. It's not about me trying to deserve it or earn it, but just trusting in his goodness, his grace towards me. If that happens, it's, it's going to change the way you look at life. You will start growing in a new way. If you know life is is lived in response to his goodness and grace, his gift. You, your life will start to change in a new way. But because we, we live in a world that very often doesn't want God, there's going to be times where you'll feel the tension of that. You feel that tension maybe at work. You feel it in, in the way you do relationships that seem to be different to other people. You, you feel it in the way that you, you approach your money, what you keep, what you spend, how you do that. And you'll be tempted, John, saying, look, to fit in with everyone else. Because John says, look, when you get down to it, there's really just two ways to live. That's verse 15. It's loving the world or, or loving the Father. And when John says love, it's not gooey feelings. It's more those, you know this, it's more those deep desires uh, that motivate the choices I make. You, you know the kind of things. Like in my head, I know the right things to eat. I know, I know the, the tub of uh, jelly snakes that we've got in one of our cupboards is not good for us. Somebody bought me them for Christmas. I'm not going to have any. And then I find myself standing with one of them in my hand um, and about to eat it. Um, and I think it's not because I didn't know something. It's because I've set my affections on something. I love them. I love jelly snakes. Uh, it's a silly one. Or I, 
I think about someone else, a guy, Ed, I knew. He, he moved into a street in Sheffield. He and his wife had moved up from London. They used to work in a bank down there. And I said, why the move from London to Sheffield? You come way north. And he said, it's the lifestyle. He said, regularly, I'd be working 16 hours a day. And at least two days a week, I wouldn't come home. I'd sleep at my desk. Uh, and I used to see some of the other guys I worked with and they'd buy expensive presents for their wives and their children because they never saw them. And I thought, I don't want that for my family life. I thought, wow. So you moved to Sheffield. That's a long way to come. I guess he was self-aware knowing what he wouldn't be able to, to manage or, or what would be the temptation for him. But you wonder, why do some people sacrifice family life, work those incredible hours, in the pursuit of promotion or salary. And they might say, I'm doing it for my family, but they go way beyond what what the family would ever need. And the Bible would say, you're possibly getting an insight into what they love the most. And so they live for that. And that love shapes all the other decisions they make. That's why for some people, when things don't work out the way they hoped, they're not just disappointed, they're devastated. And the Bible would say, look, when you see them devastated, it might be you're getting an insight into the thing they actually love the most, what what they really want, and losing that is everything for them. And then so too for you and me. Why do we do the things we do? The Bible would say it's not just that we're rational choosers. It's not like we're just heads on sticks. If we get information, we'll make all the right choices. No, we're shaped by what we love. What we set our affections on will determine the whole way we live life. We'll either love the world and live that way, or we'll love God and we'll live his way. And by loving the world, John doesn't mean look the countryside. It doesn't even mean career or, or money. It's, it's more the world's way of thinking. Just, just have a look at verse 16 again. Do you see what he says? For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the the pride of life. He's saying, look, if you want to know how the world works, it it works like this. It's essentially self-centered and self-congratulating. My life's my own. Uh, The lust of the flesh and the eyes. He's getting at, you just look at life and think, my life's my own. I'll go for what I want. How I work, I'm in charge. Who I sleep with, that's my choice. Moral issues, I'll decide for myself. And John says that the world does things without reference to God's words. It doesn't trust him. We're in charge. And then by the pride of life, what he's getting at is, he doesn't mean that people are necessarily always walking around boasting about themselves, but it's, if we do it ourselves, I've really only got me to thank, and so I'll hold on to everything I've got tightly because it's mine. I earned it. I deserved it. Now, I can do that with career, and I can do that with money. But I can also do it with family life, and I can do it with church life as well. I I can do it in my job here, because it's not really the activity. It's the attitude of me at the center. And it's why sometimes even people who seem interested in Jesus, you... You can have, as you get to know them, this baffling experience that they can seem involved with Christian things, but then over time discover, gosh, they they only ever do the things that they want to do. Or there's an awkward pride. Or they don't like it if they hear the Bible disagreeing with their views and they push back and they even claim to be more mature. 
But I think John would say, you might be getting an insight into what they love the most, and it's not God. But those who love the Father, he's saying, they live in a different way because they know, they know life's not my own. It belongs to the one who has saved me, and it's lived thinking with all that God's given me. All the things that I've got, how can I serve him in this place that he's put me at this time? And, and when it comes together in wonderful, encouraging ways, as it happens from time to time, things just go really well. It all comes together. I'll enjoy it without becoming insufferably proud. That's a good thing, isn't it? I won't be just banging on about it all the time. I'll enjoy it without becoming insufferably proud because my whole life, it's a gift from God. And that thinking will grow in you a mature humility. You'll be able to enjoy things, but not hold on to them so tightly. And when plans fail or fall apart, as sometimes happens, I'll be disappointed, but I won't be devastated. Because even as I failed... I was doing that serving God and that's the thing that I really love doing. And what a relief because even failure can never cut you and me off from the thing that we love most because that's God. And he saved me through Jesus so I'm able to maintain even in hardship, even in genuine sadness, a, a confident joy because I've, I've got the thing always that's most important to me, the, the thing I treasure And it's why John would say, and you might say, look, fair, fair play, David, but have you got this confident joy? And I think, I, I feel the challenge of it. But it's why John's writing to us, but, and why he says in verse 17, look, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Living for yourself, it's short term, it's immature. Living for God is the thing that will last. So, so how do you mature? How do you grow up? None of us feel like growing up yet, do we? You always feel, uh, did, my parents, did my parents feel so as insecure as I do now? But how, how are we to mature the way John's encouraging us? John's saying, look, you and I, we will live for God to the extent to which you know and love him. And that's why one of the things we're, we're seeing in this letter is, John says at the beginning, this we proclaim to you. This letter is a proclamation of good news. John is not just telling us stuff to do. He is showing us someone to know, someone to love and trust, Jesus Christ, because he first loved you. And he's saying the more we get to know Jesus, the more we will love him. And those affections will drive us to mature, grown-up choices. That would be good. But just as we think about that, why don't we have a moment, a moment to, for our own quiet, just thoughts and prayers. There might be something you want to say to the Lord. And then I think we're going to sing our closing hymn.